Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. And thank you very much for your patience while we took a much-needed break following Icon Comics and Games convention. While the convention itself was only three days long, there were two days leading up front, one day of taking down everything, then we had these really pesky international guests, James L. Sutter, Linda Vampy Bit Me Lee. They needed to be shown around the country and it was really draining, it was really tiring, and you should really give me all of your sympathies. But we're back on track now, and for this particular episode, we're speaking to Erin Gunzenhauser. Erin is a writer and artist whose style lies somewhere between the influence of Eastern and Western commercial cartoons. Erin is drawn to the darkness, and her work expresses her curiosities and understandings of psychology, beauty, death, and immortality. Erin is deeply passionate about what she creates. There is truth to her fiction, and it comes from her heart. While studying, Erin produced a great deal of art that would eventually influence her comic, The Legend of Doloretta, which is the result of years of story development and artistic growth. Erin has now gone on the self-publishing route, and The Legend of Doloretta is now available on the Comixology platform. Erin was kind enough to sit down with us just before Icon to talk about all manner of things, including her fascination with the doll, the idea of the alabaster image, and how she decided to go the self-publishing route when it came to her comic. We pass this over to Franku and the Diva for their rating. Franku, what did the Diva have to say? The Diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it Slightly Salted. Thank you very much to Franku and the Diva for that rating, but for now, without any further ado, please join me, Les Allen, as we release The Geek with Erin Gunsenhauser. And now, we're releasing The Geek. What is your confession? I like pots of tea. But I find that I'm restricted by the size of the pot. No, it's it's a it's a good one, and it's got a metal interior, so it keeps it warm. Mm. And it's yeah. What's your preferred tea? I like the combination. It's um, I drink herbal tea, uh-huh. and then I need a coffee next to it, a dairy drink. With really? foam, yeah. Okay. With yeah. foam. <laughs> <laughs> no, I need to have foam. I need to make that clear. <laughs> really? Yeah. So how do you do that at home? Um, I have a frother. <laughs> <laughs> And also, these Nescafe sachets saved my life. Wow. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) What was your path to geekdom? How did it start for you? Oh, okay. I started a long time ago. Would you call yourself a geek? Yes. Okay. Very much so. Okay. So it started, I think I was about 12. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a TV show, well, two TV shows that me and my friends all watched in primary Mm -hmm. school. Yeah. Called, one was Witch, um, and one yeah. was Mimi Power, right? Okay. So they were both on KTV, and they came out once a week. Now, this mm-hmm. was like, we didn't have internet access. Didn't know you could download an entire season of anything. Right. So um, we'd wait once a week, and um, everybody knew me as the artist, especially mm-hmm. my friends. And I think it started when I started um, redrawing the characters, right? Right. And then my friends prompted me to kind of make more of it, because... We were so tired of waiting once a week for this the show to come out. So my one friend, I remember we were in class and she said, 
why don't you um, why don't you create a show for us or like mm. some kind of cartoon and that's where it started and then I started drawing superheroes um, at first it was very generic like right. I can't I'd, I'd hide it very far away from the world sure. yeah so I uh, mm. started with that but um like Mimu power and which it was the f the formula of five girls right mm -hmm. All different hair colors and different personalities just that sure. classic formula started with that and uh, made the superhero story and I, I went in pretty deep I had mm -hmm. a huge file I made like character backgrounds for all of wow. them like, you'll see <laughs> it's ridiculous and I did it all with um, pen and paper yeah um, like a flip file full of all the characters and their name, their bio, their age, their everything. Um, Full history. Their catchphrase, like... Catchphrases. <laughs> really was... I was went all the way and their power and um, the whole story of the villains. But I never uh -huh. really pursued that one. But it was the one. I started the comic out like on paper mm -hmm. about six or seven times. And it was pretty okay. funny. Um, just it was, it was fun. Yeah. And then... I think um, everybody pushed me to keep going with it because mm -hmm. I enjoyed looking at it, reading it, and sure. but I didn't think I was going to pursue um, a career in as a comic artist. Somehow I always imagined it would be there somewhere mm -hmm. in my future, but I really wanted to pursue acting at that time. Okay. So I was always imagining that I was going to be an actress, but somehow magically the comic would just be there with me. I didn't really think about it. Sure. And then, um, a few years pass. Um, high school changes things a lot. Changes things a lot for me. I went through like, a dark phase, right? So my pictures start getting darker. The, right. I came up with about two stories. Mm -hmm. um, both of them I'd like to pursue one day, but mm -hmm. for now they're just um, concepts, and they involve vampires and black magic and um, parallel worlds and sure. things like that. Um, what, what sort of stuff do you read? Uh, where do your influences come from then? So, reading, um, literally every young adult vampire novel ever written I've read, okay? Right. Every single one. And I love, um, well, honestly, Magician is the first um, book out of that genre that I've read. My friend had to convince me to read it. I wasn't, <gasps> yeah, I know. He was, he was pushing it on me mm -hmm. for so, so long. And he said, Aaron, this is the best book you will ever read. You have to go on and on about it. Tell mm -hmm. me everything. And the only reason I read it was because I wanted, uh, no, I trusted him. He said it was such a good book and I said, there has to be something in here. You will always and trust him from now on, won't you? Yes, yeah. no, it's a flippin' fantastic series, jeez. <laughs> um, I'm very aware, like I don't even want to read the, any other books until, because I know I've got all of them downloaded on my like, Kindle, yeah. Right. I've got like 17 books or so to read. And I'm very excited. Very cool. So, um, but before that, it was all like um, Vampire Diaries, mm -hmm. The House of Night, Love of the House of Night, um, The Night World. What is, it, what is it about vampires? Oh my gosh. I've loved vampires since I was a child. Um, I didn't I didn't express that kind of darkness as a child. I don't know why I love vampires specifically. Actually, there was something about fangs that got me as okay. a kid, right? Really? I loved fangs in the mouth. I just, mm -hmm. something about it looked awesome. But I wasn't too keen on the whole gory um, folklore behind it all. That, that right. didn't appeal to me. Mm -hmm. So then as the vampire genre evolved oh, about 10 years ago, um, like if you think of 
not Twilight. <laughs> but before that... The fact that, that you decided to whisper that, yeah. that, that says a lot. Anne Rice. <laughs> yes. Um, the interview with a vampire mm-hmm. and Queen of the Damned. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that was awesome for me. Like, I love mm-hmm. that old Victorian style. The and, mm-hmm. and there was something in there with, I don't know if you recall, can't remember her name in the movie, but Kirsten Dunst's character in Interview yes. with a Vampire. Mm-hmm. And she, she became aware of the fact that she couldn't age, right? So she was happy being a child, trapped in a child's mm-hmm. body. But then I remember this one scene where she started cutting her hair and it just kept growing back and she was yes. trapped, right? So something about that really, really captured me because... I mean, it's, that's, that's a, an idea I don't really want to explore, being trapped as a child. It doesn't really appeal to me. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of um, trapped beauty mm-hmm. and then opposing that somebody who's hideous, right? Trapped in an immortal state. Mm-hmm. And that inspired my story. I actually remember watching... Uh, my inspiration actually comes from everywhere, but... There was a, a soapy on, and mm-hmm. there was this beautiful, beautiful opera singer who was in this ridiculous car accident, and trusted soapy that the only scar she had, only damage to her body, was this hideous scar across, across her, face. her face. Yeah, and right. she she let everybody think she was dead, even her husband, and mm-hmm. she was mortified. And right. that actually that really got to me because I just thought there's there's nothing quite like someone beautiful, known for their beauty, and then scarred. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, but what if they're turned into a vampire but in my mind I don't believe in the whole once you turn into a vampire your whole body heals I don't mm-hmm. like that because it doesn't make sense to me I I think that you should be frozen in time mm-hmm. As, it was that way in true blood I noticed like however they were um, turned they stayed that way and that makes more sense to me because you can't say everything in your body will heal mm-hmm. and then you know all, all the, all the, like the mm. books and the genre and the movies. What's well, one of the get... things about Armand in um, Vampire the Stat and Interview with the Vampire? Yeah. That he was supposed to be, uh, I think it was Marius that turned him, but yeah. Marius was grooming him to get to a point where he would achieve his perfection in Marius's yes. eyes. And then, and I probably could have Marius's name wrong, but I remember that Armand's um, maker. Yeah. wanted to keep him he was raising him to get to him to a certain point yeah. and it's at that point then I'm going to turn you yeah. and you're going to be perfect yeah. and you're going to have all of these skills <laughs> and you're going to take it forward mm. um, but he was uh, he was attacked before that happened so Marius didn't want him to die and turned Armand early so while he was played by Antonio Banderas in the movie mm. he's actually more closer in age to Kirsten Dunst's character oh really he's actually a, like a young teenage boy Oh, wow. Yeah, he's not a full-grown man at all. Oh, I see. That makes a big difference. Mm. So that the idea yes. of that he's been trapped at mm. that point, mm. but Marius knew that was how it was going to be, and he was playing this well, long game, not long mm. for a vampire, but long for, for Armand's character. Yes. He was waiting for a point to do it, and that point never came, so he did it yeah, before he got didn't killed. didn't go according to plan. Didn't go. So you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so frozen in time. Mm-hmm. And then if you mix that with how curious I am about psychology mm-hmm. and villains and mm-hmm. well, vampires in general and magic, and then my honest perception of all of these themes, right? Mm-hmm. So I mixed it all together, not intentionally at first. It was just, it was all drawing to me in the beginning. I think I was about 16, feeling anxious and... Um, 
and a lot's going on and I drew mm. these pictures you would have thought that I would have become a fashion designer the way I drew girls in their clothing that's what it was mostly these beautiful girls in their beautiful clothing mm. and they were very twisted pictures um, was this helping you express stuff I don't know if it was helping me express as much as it was something that I felt like I just had to do. Okay. It, did, it, didn't, it didn't help, honestly. Um, I just was getting it out there. Sure. And then I, I drew all these dolls, and um, not small dolls. Imagine life-size dolls like with the joints and these creepy pictures with big smiles, like how Harley Quinn looks yes. these days. Very, very dark. Sure. And then... Um, I don't know, one thing led to another. I added a character here, a character there. I just knew that I wanted this this magical dollhouse. And I don't really like the mm -hmm. word magical because it doesn't seem like to capture it. It's, mm -hmm. it's some dark, dark fantasy world, right? Let's leave it at that. And then I wanted there to be layers. Like if you can imagine the classic anime story where mm -hmm. you encounter your main character and then two episodes later you meet another character and then it goes down, it goes in layers into the story and you meet all these people and then they, they reveal the plot to you. I wanted that. Mm -hmm. But within the dolls, I imagined a dollhouse with these dolls and then I needed a villain. And honestly, um, on the cover of my introduction the one mm -hmm. that's out on comicsology you see a blonde lady with a mask that she's holding mm -hmm. so that's that's essentially Doloretta. she doesn't quite make an appearance very early in the series mm -hmm. but that was a, a character that i used to draw and i it was probably like an alter ego of myself mm -hmm. um, especially in high school i didn't i mean i was in high school i didn't want to be that young I wanted this this idea of a life of um, somehow mixed with vampires and fashion mm -hmm. and something True. darkly glamorous but uh, that was not happening there and I was actually in a hostel um, and but I loved school but mm -hmm. I it didn't suit my dreams right uh, I had a long way to go to get to where I needed to be to express myself so I, I drew these pictures and you'd see the same woman come mm -hmm. up again and again and because I love vampires she always had red eyes and white skin and I didn't I wasn't happy about making her the villain or the the core of the mm -hmm. story yeah. but it happened I, I remember the day mm -hmm. I simply said why don't I just use her and then and then things like clicked. you know I was like oh no but then <laughs> then it, I got used to the idea mm -hmm. and then I think so it was the dolls mm -hmm. Doloretta yeah. which is a strange way to come up with it because mm -hmm. Doloretta is supposed to be the one to find the dolls but the dolls came first sure. then the main character Demi the protagonist mm -hmm. who um the first chapter starts with the introduction mm -hmm. starts with her telling the story mm -hmm. and then I think the, the, the story only truly started to reflect my, my inner self, my core, when mm -hmm. I had to decide how the villain would meet her end, mm -hmm. okay? Then I, I really had to look inside myself because I couldn't, I had to write the story honestly. It was very personal for me. I didn't, I didn't realize, but it was. So I'm not going to say what I decided, but people the, can read that yeah mm -hmm. I, I just I, I empathize with the with the villain always okay. since I was a child uh, I've had this this deep understanding of psychology mm -hmm. and this empathy for 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 people who lose their way and um, the things are not always black and white yes definitely mm -hmm. um, so 
the story really explores the darker side of the villain. Mm-hmm. Well, the, there is only a, well, you'd say that there's only a dark side, but there isn't really only a dark side. There's mm-hmm. there's so much to a villain, and they're a person. They have a story, and mm-hmm. that is what the story revolves around. It revolves around people and their decisions. And is moral ambiguity a big thing for you? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd say mm-hmm. um, it's. Also, one thing I forgot to mention, the, the name Dolores. Oh, we, we have plenty of time. Oh, dear. Okay, cool. Um, I just don't want to forget to say this. Sure. So when I was in grade 11, I was 16, mm-hmm. a dark time for me. It was just lots of anxiety, as I said. So we had this cabaret at school. Mm. Now, drama was a great escape for me. And sure. we were a very small school, only five students. So... It was it was very personal. Five students. In, not in the whole school, good lord. I was going to say that's, a, that's not a very big cabaret. Um, in the drama department <laughs> gotcha. in our grade, okay. yeah. So the five of us, mm-hmm. and then we were. Um, oh, it's all coming back to me now. We <laughs> had a cabaret, and my drama teacher Lisa, mm-hmm. she was inspired by the film Coraline. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So they decided to create this um, cabaret that had like all grades in it it was just awesome mm-hmm. about a girl who went to go work at a theater and mm-hmm. at night the dolls would come to life ah. right or just when everybody left i don't know the sure. doll everything all the equipment the props everything came to mm-hmm. life and we played out this this yes. theatrical thing mm-hmm. and um the main character of that story was Dolaretta. Yes. she was the little girl who went to go work mm-hmm. in the in the theater she was a completely innocent character I just really loved the name. Sure. And I myself was really inspired by the film Coraline. Um, actually, when I first, well, the second time I watched it, I enjoyed it a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought to myself, I would love to see this concept with teenagers mm-hmm. in a boarding school and vampires, right? right. That's like my, that's my answer to everything. Like, sure. that would make everything better. Vampi- with every just vampires, vampires, boarding school, and teenagers. Just I don't know why. <laughs> So that's what I went for, mm-hmm. and it just started brewing in my mind. Um, and I was in grade eleven at that time, mm-hmm. and that's when I my protagonist starts her story. She's mm-hmm. my age at that time, and it just started growing from there. Mm-hmm. And I've I've been working on this for about seven years now, and. The story has, ever since that one day in Hostel when I decided the fate of the villain, mm-hmm. the story has had one, one direction, but um, a lot of people have helped me along the way. Mm-hmm. And I think I was very naive when I started out. Um, my, my story didn't make a lot of sense. And, um, well, when they did. did you, when did you come to realize that? Okay, so... Uh, like, look, they're fascinating stories. Very, mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm a good storyteller, always have been. But when um, I told actually Brad um, my story, my sister got me to tell him because he's very into vampires, right? Especially um, the White Wolf universe. Uh, yes. yeah. yeah, love that game. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he, I told him the whole story mm-hmm. and. Like without giving anything away, I would, I would tell him, you know, the the main plot, and I'd mm-hmm. say, and then this character was banished mm-hmm. into into the abyss, right. and he said, banished by what? <laughs> I said, mm-hmm. by the universe, because she was evil. <laughs> and he said, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so um, that on, like he just he meant it. He meant it. He meant well. Like he said, 
you have to know that there are people. And this was this is way back when when it was just me and my big book full of pictures and mm-hmm. there was no fan base. There was just my friends and me telling the story with my own mouth. Mm-hmm. And he said there are people who are want to who will want to know the truth, who want to know everything and they will search for loopholes. So it's difficult to imagine it almost feels pretentious imagining that you'll one day have that much success. But the reality is that a brilliant story will have no loopholes. Mm-hmm. We'll have an unspoken universe. And um, even if my story does just follow a 17-year-old girl who started a boarding school and discovers a, a haunted house filled with dolls, there is an entire universe behind that that I had to create. Mm-hmm. And the creation of that universe came from... Um, honestly, instinct. Like I thought to myself, I didn't know which vampire mythology to fall into, right? And I, none of them I entirely agree with, as mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier. Do your vampires sparkle? Pardon? Do your vampires sparkle? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I, I I just thought I had to go further back then than what the vampires are. Mm-hmm. What? Where did they come from? Where did the first vampire come from? That's what I needed to know. And I know... Are you a fan of White Wolf? Yes, yes, okay. I am. No, I right. love... I played that game a few times. Sure. I'm a McLevian. Okay. Have you? Yeah. And you are? Tremere. Oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So, um... Actually, no. Just, just, gang norm- rule. N- no. <laughs> normally, <laughs> normally, normally Ventrue. Oh, is this? Okay, Normally cool. Ventrue, because that just... It's, it's easy enough for me to play a Ventrue, but... Uh, uh, I like, I'm attracted to Tremere, so... Did you play as a Malkavian? No. I highly recommend it. It's, it's like a bit of an acid trip. Yeah, I'm too much of a control freak. Oh my gosh, yeah, okay. I, it's, look, well, I say that. I, when, when I LARP, I get called on to play the crazies. Mm. But, um, so I could play a Malkavian, but um, no, I, I'm much too more systematic. Yeah. Uh, Ventrue appeals to me that way. Yeah. Oh. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sorry, I no, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, the universe. Um, <laughs> okay, so the origin of vampires. Um, mm. What did you decide upon? I decided upon. Now this is in the first. This is in the introduction. So this is easy mm-hmm. game. Um, that in nature, right? Mm-hmm. Within humanity. The way I perceived it, that if there were to be some kind of darkness, now I don't touch on heaven or hell at all. It's not in my story. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's just not there. So this this darkness that exists within nature. Mm-hmm. This is another point. I don't like how stories depict vampires as being unnatural creatures because unless you come from another planet, you're not mm-hmm. unnatural. You are part of nature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, what what could be this darkness that that defines vampires as something unnatural to humans, that doesn't belong. So I started to imagine, also before I'd come up with the mythology, I imagined this parallel world, mm-hmm. home to vampires with a red sky. And then I also asked myself, why would there be a red sky? Mm-hmm. Like it can't just be like this evil red sky. It's mm-hmm. got to be a reason. So then I sort of, all the the pain or the sorrow or the anguish or the hate or the darkness of humanity and specifically from war over Mm -hmm. the centuries all of that physical blood spilt on earth soil Mm -hmm. right that the essence of that darkness 
eventually became too much for mother nature mm -hmm. right um, too much because it wasn't always there the world sure. used to be a natural place I mean killing in the animal kingdom isn't the same as a, a sociopath mm. a predetermined murder it's not the same and so this this unnatural darkness that started to develop as humanity evolved right that eventually started to um, it built up and it had to be cast away by nature so there is a mother nature in my story. She's not a character. She's um she's a spirit. She's an essence. And I say she just, you know, she's not a female. Mm -hmm. So um, this energy is cast off. And now this is, as we know it in this world, the astral plane, right? She pushes this energy beyond the astral plane. So it's it's a it's a layer. A layer, yes. but at the same time, it's its own world. Sure. Okay, mm -hmm. and this was meant to never be touched by humans. This was this is a mechanism made by nature to protect humanity from excess darkness. Because mm -hmm. as you know, humans keep going. If you imagine how uh, like people die in a house and new people go, like a classic horror story formula. Mm -hmm. Um, if there's a murder house and the more people who die there, the more people, the more ghosts remain and mm -hmm. the more story there is. So right. that is what the intention was behind creating the afterlife, mm -hmm. which is what I'll, I'll get there. So this parallel world, the red world, it's to save humanity from basically a, like a haunted planet. Sure. Right. So within this world, it's not just um, the emotions. That of the emotions of all the the anger, all of that. It's there's an awareness within that. Like within someone's blood, there is their story, there's their mm -hmm. DNA. There's yes. so much more, right? So that mixed together from thousands of people over hundreds of years, that has a sentience to it. Mm -hmm. And within that world, awakened the spirit Lachidisha. Okay, she didn't name herself. Mm -hmm. There we go. So uh, that name also comes from. Lachidectus, which is the name of the Black Widow spider, and I, I like the. I don't. Know, I'm probably going to mess it up now. It's been a while. Lachidectus, Latin words, and mm -hmm. one of the words means um, thief, and the other one means mortality. So it's thief of mortality, uh, nice. and mm -hmm. that hourglass thing. Yes. So I, I've played with that. I love that, and. Mm. Um, I actually have a weird obsession with spiders. Dream about them a lot. So it was nice to tie that in somewhere. The only people who would think it would be weird are people who don't like spiders. And I don't really like spiders. What? <laughs> that's that's going to now really mess with, yeah. your, with your dreams. If you're dreaming about spiders and All you the don't time, like them. I have the most ridiculous dreams about spiders. It's crazy. Uh -huh. um, yeah. So it was mm. nice to put it somewhere. Sure. And then so... Then now we're in the 1800s, okay? Or the late 1700s, mm -hmm. actually late 1600s, right? So everything about Earth's history is, is exists as it was in my comic mm -hmm. until around the late 1600s. Don't quote me on this. Um, some King Henry somewhere mm -hmm. uh, actually this did happen. Banned um, alchemy, right? Mm -hmm. Esoteric alchemy. Yes because it was straying too close to satanic ideals. And then, now in my story, there are a group of alchemists. Um, in the introduction, it says there are five alchemists who are exploring 
boundaries of life. They're mm-hmm. in search of the elixir of life. Yes. Okay. So they, they, through astral travel, come across this parallel universe, mm-hmm. and they find it through, um, through on Earth mythology, of of talk of this this world of darkness where it's an unnatural thing to mm-hmm. Earth. So they find it through there. Eventually. They make it's, it happens a lot more strategically. It doesn't sure. just all fall into place. Mm-hmm. So they eventually make contact to this world, and they're all human. Let's just clarify: they are humans, mm-hmm. and they meet Latradisha. They name her Latradisha after this encounter, sure. and she's this dark black spirit, and they ask her for immortality. They want to live forever. Mm-hmm. They explain to her. They make her understand, um, you know, the human plight. How there isn't enough time. Especially, I mean, those days it was different. It was mm-hmm. it was worse than it is now. But it's always been a, a fact that we don't have enough time, and we never know when it's going to end. So she gives them the immortality, but she she does not let them share it with the rest of the world so they have no they cannot create other vampires but the gene will be passed in their bloodline mm-hmm. so their children would have it but they'd be born as mortals okay. and it would carry on nothing would ever be able to eradicate the vampire gene but they would be born as mortals and only the dark fathers mm-hmm. they named themselves at could awaken them into uh-huh. immortality right. so it would then be their duty to look over their kin and awaken them, mm-hmm. and, and this is now, and it's only their descended line. Yes, there mm-hmm. is no changing this. Mm-hmm. And from that day, from that first encounter, it was forbidden that any human ever enter the afterlife ever again, mm-hmm. um, as decreed by the Dark Fathers and by Latradisha. Uh-huh. She's okay. she's quite. Um, She's not very biased, but one mm-hmm. thing she knows is her place that she does not belong in nature, in the sure. natural world. That is all. It's not a hate thing. It's not mm-hmm. an emotional thing. It is simply this world is, is. poison to the natural world of the living. Mm-hmm. We stay yeah. here. So That's interesting. Yeah. So I that, did that honestly. I wanted to... I, I'm, I'm glad that I came up with my own um, origin story, but mm-hmm. I have nothing against any of the others. Mm-hmm. And... I would have been happy to use any other story without any copyright infringement, mm-hmm. but folklore is folklore. Sure. You know? What is so, it about? Uh, what is it about teenagers, though? I mean, you've got, you have immortality. You have this amazing array of powers. You have, it, it's this incredible state, and you're gonna waste it on a teenager. Waste it. Waste it on a teenager. The young who don't know what the hell they're doing. Why is it that the, the teenagers and vampires as a, as a motif? As a child, I, I, I love the idea of living forever. Mm-hmm. And I somehow saw being a teenager mm-hmm. as like the, the, just the epitome of existence. It was the moment to live sure. in. Your apex state. Yes. Okay. So um, I disagree with it now. Mm-hmm. But there was something about being a teenager. You just come into your adult self mm-hmm. and your desires and these feelings and, and you know, things really come into play. The foundation is there right. and then you're exposed to the world and adults start to see you differently. There's just this whole world 
of exposure mm-hmm. and it, it will shape the rest of your life you know or if you stay hidden it won't so okay. it's and so you have a lot of control you know mm-hmm. and as a teenager you know, I saw this firsthand with my friends and with myself. Mm-hmm. You you can go looking for darkness. You can go looking for trouble. It's yeah. there. It's waiting. Um, it's not like a child where your parents will protect you. Mm-hmm. If you want something when you're a teenager, you're going to get your hands on it. And it can ruin your life. So, and then there was, I always wanted to go to boarding school. And then I was lucky enough to get into one um, grade 11. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of teenagers living together like it's not that a boarding school is um has no supervision but the reality is that these are teenagers who live together without parents and there's so much possibility i'm not not throwing any shade at my hostel but i love the idea and the house of night um i didn't really start reading that before writing this story it was during um, but that day, there was a boarding school there, and I love it. And uh, I often find a lot of um, just fiction, unpublished stories, and just boarding school vampires. It's like there's this mortal um, possibility, like between teenagers, underdeveloped people with such strong emotions. I mean, when you're a teenager, your your wisdom isn't all there. I mean, all your knowledge, it's not there, but the emotions are there. Right. So it's it's dangerous. And um, there are things you can only feel as a teenager. And I, I know this from first-hand experience. There's everything I knew about the world was told to me as, a, as I was a child. Mm-hmm. And as a teenager, nothing could make me comprehend it the way I do now. You know, I've been through a lot. I've done a lot of healing and um, working on my better self. And there is nothing that could have changed the way things turned, well, the way things happened as a teenager because that was just the way my brain was, right. the emotions, the feelings, the environment. And looking at other teenagers... Whereas before I would have thought parents should do this, this and that to mm-hmm. look after their children. Now I, I, there's nothing you can do. Sure. I mean, there are precautions to be taken. But at the end of the day, and this is also me watching a lot of crime documentaries. It's also an obsession of mine. There are some things that you cannot control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it happens in the teenagers. And I think it's remarkable how teenagers are referred to as underdeveloped and they're not quite adults. But... Mm-hmm. There are so many things that happen there that are are as adult as anything else. And I think this also comes from certain adults, you know, crossing the barrier. And now when I was a teenager, acknowledging that we're the same. I remember once I, I did something mean to a friend and I spoke to her mother, actually apologized to her mother. Mm-hmm. And she says, you don't need to apologize. Um, kids do stupid stuff. And then I said, yeah. And she says, no, Erin, like kids do stupid stuff and adults do stupid stuff too. And the way she said it was that she said, the only thing that's going to change is you're going to age in the next 20 years. That's mm-hmm. it. And I believe that. Um, I often see children in adults. And so between adults and children, it's teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I, I love, uh, that's probably also the media that influenced me. Like the main characters of all these awesome stories were teenagers, mm-hmm. right? So, that's that. Mm. Yeah, so my main character, Demi, she, I don't know if I missed a question there. It was just white teenagers, right? Yes, yes. 
I think it's also a bit of a fetish, I have to say. I don't okay. know why. I wouldn't go back and change them to adults. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of the teenagers in the boarding school. And I mean, it's okay because I wrote it when I was a teenager in a boarding school. Sure. But one day it's going to get creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but that's fine. <laughs> would there, there's, a, there's a progression though there. You've got, a, you've got a progression of where they would head to. They wouldn't always stay at a boarding school, would they? Or would you, is that where you want to keep them? Um, that is where I want to keep them. Mm-hmm. That is large part of the essence of the story. Most mm-hmm. stories that fit into my story genre, or my, you know, they, they're about humans and vampires. Mm-hmm. This story, the main characters are all vampires. They all have the gene, and um, they all have this possibility of immortality. Mm-hmm. And I instead focus on the true difference between humans and vampires but from the vampires looking outwards right. and it, the way I've written it the vampires have mm-hmm. have more possibility they have more sure. and the humans will never have access to that mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of the the mystery and the horror and the murder and the death comes in right and the psychological play it's and the I, I favor the main characters mm-hmm. because they have the option to immortality mm-hmm. and um, it's not the kind where they have to be the living dead it's a kind where they have access to a parallel world and they have magic. Mm-hmm. But as the story begins, this is now modern day. I set the time to, I think, 2009 when I was in grade 11. And um, it's, all, it's all mythology. Um, there is no official recordings of the Dark Fathers of magic. Mm-hmm. Just as there is in this world. People will speculate and claim, but there is no scientific... Um, official government, yes, everything. Mm-hmm. So they so they start out the story. Demi arrives at the convent. Here's the legend. Mm-hmm. Right, she hears a few girls talking about it, and it goes that there is a there was once a beautiful, beautiful heiress named. Well, they don't quite name her, but her name is Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth Beauregard, mm-hmm. and she was so beautiful. And she used to make dolls, and she made these dolls in, you know, the image of her beauty. So, beautiful dolls. They started to call her Dolorita. Now, she was part of a very wealthy um, family of nobility, mm-hmm. and it, it was all that she was known for, her beauty and her beautiful dolls. And then, one day, she's in a terrible accident, and something sets the, the Bolagard Manor on fire, and... She had um, an, a quaint house just behind the manor where she would build her dolls or yes. craft them. Mm-hmm. And she was there when the fire broke out. And then she tries to go into the mansion to save her family, but um, she doesn't. She, she fails. She still manages to get out, but she's terribly scarred. And then the townspeople, the classic townspeople, whoever mm-hmm. they are, start to call her the broken doll mm-hmm. because she looks like a broken doll and you know mm. so then and it starts to get a little bit vicious after that they they actually accuse her because now she's the she's the heir to everything she has everything they accuse mm. her of starting the fire so then she goes from this beautiful um this beautiful lady to a respected member of society to to this monster a pariah yeah and then years pass on and the townspeople believe that Doloretta, well, broken doll Doloretta Elizabeth, 
is the one murdering girls, right? So every now and then a, a corpse of a beautiful young girl is found. And now this isn't a rare thing, this happens, but they believe it's her, that she's taking our revenge. Right. Okay, so... Sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> distracted. <laughs> so they say in the legend that Doloretta lurks the night, searching for the souls of pretty girls to devour. Uh-huh. And then... Um, but after she dies, mm-hmm. a natural death, soul um, girls keep dying, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty little girls keep dying in that area. So that's where the legend was born, 200 right. years before the present day of the story. And the convent is actually built on the Bolagard Manor, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was in um, the Elizabeth Bolagard. She, before she died, she... Um, gave away the manor. There's a better mm-hmm. way to say that, but I can't think of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they rebuilt, turned it into a convent. The only part of the manor not to be burnt down was the dollhouse, mm-hmm. where her, her studio. And that is, um, it's over 100 years old. It's like 200 years old. It's, it's, it's against the law to even go near it. It's completely fenced up. It's, mm-hmm. um, my words going again. Um, it's like... It's a landmark. Sure, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, historical landmark. There we go. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it also belongs to the the church now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's off off limits completely. Mm-hmm. But the students know about it. That legend has been passed down to generations. The the sisters, the teachers, everybody will. You know, they, they hate that story. Mm. They don't like kids telling it. But because Elizabeth was a respected member of the convent's history, you know, mm. she donated the entire estate. And um, she, as far as the Catholic um, community is concerned, you know, she... she um, what's that word? Well, she came out on top. Right. After serious, serious shit went down. Yes. <laughs> it could have been more poetic. But, um, <laughs> hey, people—they want the poetry. They've got to read the book. Yeah. They've got to read the comic. Yeah, no. Look, there. It's, it's very well written there, but right now, um, so she's. Hey, listen, you haven't had any coffee for yeah. at least twenty minutes, so. You, yeah, I had a sip like three minutes ago, but it doesn't really count. He did that quite well because I didn't even spot that. Oh, well okay. Mm-hmm. So mm. glad you didn't hear the slurping. <laughs> <laughs> where, so. where did the idea of um, self-publishing? Uh, you, you've made this mm. yourself. Mm. You, this was very personal. You did it for your friends and and select people, mm-hmm. but then the idea of well, I'm, I want to put this out there. I want to do more. How did that come about? Well, it was a combination of me wanting to make a career out of drawing because mm-hmm. it was it was one thing came naturally to me so it made sense and if i could make a career out of that mm. that, that just sounds like magic to me and um i found something in the story um in a sense the story reflects me right but i can't i can't explain why it's it's mm-hmm. within the whole story so i also want to find like-minded people you know if someone can can read the story and tell me that they understand and they understand why I, I did what I did and they know my thought process and when I said I empathize with the, the corrupted and the villainous, like I, mm-hmm. I want somebody to be able to say I understand. Instead of finish the story and say, wow, that was a good read, oh, didn't see that ending coming, what a twist. Mm-hmm. But no, it's I want I want I don't I don't want people to think 
I don't care what people think, but I want somebody to know that I wrote the story out of truth, out of what I believe and what I feel, and not to make like a, a blockbuster story. And uh, very few people will probably see it that way. And um, even fewer will ever probably approach me about it. But I, I do want to find the like-minded individuals. And these will probably be the same people who read The House of Night and read this and read that. But within all of those, those stories, those fan bases, I always find something's lacking. And I think that's what I've put into this story. It's that everything I couldn't get from all of those, those, those stories. Those what was words. lacking? So, one thing I hate. This isn't really a theme in my comic, but mm -hmm. I don't know if you can ever, ever imagine like the female protagonist, and she's enticed by a bad male romantic lead, right? Or it can be. You can reverse the genders, it mm -hmm. doesn't matter. But it's like the bad person that they start falling for. Mm -hmm. And then something happens that pushes them away and they go towards the hero that they should have all along. I hate that. Mm -hmm. Hate it. I can't stand it. And then it's like that corrupted person is, isn't is given the, the chance to be loved. Are you it's feeling wrong. it's a trite trope? I think so, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, it's an injustice. And I think it's... It's something, it's society as well, it's um, the media, it's classic storytelling. Is it because the, th that particular trope of the person, of your, uh, your protagonist going towards the, the heroic figure and away from the perceived villain, mm. that uh, that's how it should be? That there's no redeeming aspect to the villain? It's, I think that the, the true fault is that there shouldn't need to be a redeeming aspect to the villain. Mm -hmm. That people are the way they are and you mm -hmm. cannot... And they're deserving yeah. of love anyway. Yes, they are. And the reality is that this is how most of the world is. And this is a, this idea corrupt from a young age. It's also what I find so fascinating about beauty. Corrupt mm -hmm. from a very young age. Um, spreading the idea of beauty and it, it puts people into these these like social factions and then it also corrupt weird people put in put in the back and um, good looking social butterflies get put in the front or something mm -hmm. and it's just it's so screwed up especially when you you eventually do become a teenager and you realize just how how untrue it all is and mm -hmm. how wrong it is and how even though everybody knows it's wrong they still live by it and so, especially like these days where there's this whole war with the animated world about um, the way females are drawn and animated and stuff, mm -hmm. that they can't be looking perfect. And I know that I've fallen into that groove, mm -hmm. but the core of my story is about how the loss of beauty, as perceived by everyone around you, can destroy your your sake or everything mm -hmm. can push you down a, a very dark dark slope and sure. that is wrong i mean the 17 1800s to be a beautiful woman from a noble family that was everything that was your future laid out for you mm -hmm. and so if you imagine a, a woman and I, you can this for some reason didn't ever fall away even though people fight it it is it's a, it's, it's one of the biggest things in the world beauty you know people are just drawn to it even when mm -hmm. they say they aren't they are and so the story is about a beautiful woman who lost her beauty. She, was, she only knew she was beautiful because of everyone around her. And then when she lost her beauty, they took, they took, they took it away from her. Mm. They took 
everything, I mean... It was, was an external thing. Yes, and mm-hmm. that just... Everything they, they thought, well, everything they made her think that they valued her for didn't mm-hmm. exist. And that's, that's a shallow, disgusting thing. And it still exists today. And the characters are the ones, the girls in the story are going to encounter mm-hmm. the, the truth of the story. Right. And there are layers upon layers upon layers. And I know that I've drawn them to be beautiful and mm-hmm. thin. And um, the truth is that... I wouldn't be able to draw them any other way. Not mm-hmm. because I don't think that's how all, you know, girls don't all look like that. But from a young age, I've been scarred with the norms of um, the commercial world. And that is that main characters are thin girls. And um, I'm even aware of my formula of their races. Like, mm-hmm. it's funny, I got that, I think, from which was about the five girls and there was one Asian girl, one black girl and three white girls, one of them was a redhead. And I picked up that formula for just about every one of my comics. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's hilarious. And I'm now I'm not too happy about it, but I'm so deeply invested in the characters that I don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. So um, I just, it is what it is. And the truth is that it, it tells a story of how I was raised and the world I was raised in. And I'm not lying about that. I'm not going to try justify any of it. It is what it is. and. I'm quite happy for that story to be told, that um, not just the story I'm telling through the story, but the way I've written it tells a story about me and how I was raised and um, all my insecurities and all my problems. And I actually, I think that's great. I mean, I, there are things I can't change about myself and I've accepted. And mm-hmm. one of the greatest ways to deal with problems and traumas is to tell your own story about it. Um, she got that idea from a YouTuber um, I think it's called Infinite Waters, this very deep guy, like guru kind of man. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he just pointed out in one episode that people who are angry, people who are, are like, who cringe when, they, when they're bombarded with all this information, like social media, everything. The real reason they're like that is because they, I'm like really paraphrasing, is because they, they're not being they're not able to tell their story, mm-hmm. right? There are many people who are content listening to just listening to other people's stories, but mm-hmm. there are some people who need to tell their own. And I, I realized in the past three or four years that I'm one of those people that I have to tell my own story. Mm-hmm. If I don't, then it's like the pressure of the rest of the world really screws with my head and all the, the mixed messages, it really screws with my head. But this way I, I have a platform and it's based on the honest truth of me and it's like interlaced into fiction and all my favorite kinds of fiction so it's awesome and it's a magical escape i mean it's been a lot of work i'll lead this back to self-publishing that i just remembered was mentioned somewhere um so i mean when i was 12 and i was doing the comics of the heroes and stuff i always thought like dc and marvel but i immediately knew that my my stuff was not dc or marvel it just was not okay Mm -hmm. if anything it fit more into the manga realm but Mm -hmm. especially back then and even now it's very difficult to penetrate the japanese market (laughs) okay and um i don't know i mean it was just it was ridiculous well at fancon uh in cape town in may uh, Matt Hawkins made the Matt Hawkins Ron Mars. They made the observation that uh, to work for Marvel or DC, there are only three hundred jobs. 
Oh, wow. There are only 450 professional basketball players in North America in the NBA. So to actually work for Marvel mm. or DC as a writer or as an artist is tougher than to be an NBA <laughs> basketball player because there are less jobs. Uh. So you've also got to take into account the fact that there are more talented writers and artists mm. than there are basketball players. So mm. not only are there a limited, is there a limited scope for the big two, you're also against a much greater talent pool. Yeah. So trying to penetrate into those, it's a bit tougher, but then you've mm. also got self-publishing as an option. Yeah. You've got other independent houses like Top yeah. Cow, uh, Ominous Press, those guys who are actually doing self, um, owner, creator, um, or creator-owned comics, those sorts of things. So there are other opportunities mm. out there away from Marvel and DC who have very strict rules as to yeah, the type of stuff yeah. they want to create. The chances of Marvel and DC wanting your story is a, is a different story. Yeah. And it's not that I wanted to be a comic book artist mm. or an illustrator. It's that I wanted to tell my story. And it's mm -hmm. very important to know that distinction, mm -hmm. why you're doing what you're doing, okay? Because I would have been... I think I would have been miserable working for Marvel or DC, even if I, let's say, got a penthouse apartment in New York. This is like some far-fetched shit. But sure. I'd, I think would, everybody's happy yeah. with a penthouse in New York. It's, it's, it's just, it's not what I want. Mm -hmm. The reality is that I want to be telling this story. Okay. So I, I, I tried sending my comic through, let's say, about four years ago mm -hmm. to this Dollarator comic to um, a few, I think one or two publishing things, but there was something within me. I just knew that it wasn't, it wasn't ever gonna work out mm -hmm. because I knew that I wasn't expressing it properly. Um, the way I put together my synopsis, I, and there was no way to capture the, the essence of the story. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know how, and they want like one page of this, three pages of the comic, and that's it. And it's like, you can't, you can't, um, uh, you can't, what's that word? There we go. Pitch. Yeah. <laughs> you can't pitch something so huge to someone in one mm -hmm. page. Mm -hmm. And if you can, I don't have the skills to do it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have anyone really helping me. And mm -hmm. nobody really knew what I wanted to do. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the uh, uh, the philosopher was it Macron who said that if you can if a man can accurately describe the fire of passion in his heart then the passion's not big enough. Ooh, wow. Tell that I've, to my 19-year-old self. <laughs> I think I've paraphrased that poorly, but it the sentiment is there. It sounded good. It sounded yeah. good. Um, and then I just, I didn't, like, the internet wasn't what it is now. Mm -hmm. And adding on to that, mm -hmm. I wasn't as, I didn't have as much access or knowledge about what was going on. And South Africa mm -hmm. didn't either. So self-publishing wasn't a thing back mm -hmm. then for me. Um, the word came up, but it, to me, it was even scarier than anything. Like, I mean, I was scared to pitch my idea to anybody, to any mm -hmm. company, any publisher, but to do it myself, it's just, it's like me against the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I did start to realize that what I wanted was for some cool cat in a mm -hmm. publishing house to say, this is good stuff, and then... External validation? Do everything sure. for me, except... Mm -hmm create the story I do that mm -hmm. and, I, and I knew that they would never accept my story the way it is and they would want to change everything and I hear this about um, manga artists and mm -hmm. like uh, they, they process because I did a lot of research and they 
the editors control everything and it's horrid I can't imagine anything worse mm -hmm. and I mean especially when it's your <laughs> you're telling your story mm -hmm. versus wanting to be an illustrator storyteller right. it's a big difference yes. so I don't know what I was doing but I was just I never went to university I did a few um, courses in graphic mm -hmm. design and right. preparing for a career in graphic design I even did a fashion design course mm -hmm. But what I did every day was draw my comic and right. develop the characters and develop the story and develop mm. the universe. And I've got stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of books and papers and drawings and like I've drawn out like like flipping a hundred chapters, mm -hmm. right? And it's just, and I redrew, like constantly redrew everything. I mm. eventually just had to um, accept what I had done, make a few like minor alterations mm -hmm. and then submit it. Right. So um, it started with Comixology. I read that mm -hmm. on the Design in Darbo website. Yes. They said that the best advice they can give, which is exactly what I was telling everyone. They said, no, go to publishers, go to this magazine. I'm like, you don't get it, mm -hmm. okay? I didn't know how to capture the indie genre at the time, but first of all, comics in South Africa, second of all, indie genre. Mm -hmm. Third of all, whatever the hell I'm doing with it. <laughs> so it's, I just, I don't know how to tell people because mm -hmm. they just see these beautiful pictures and they say, but it's going to be wonderful, it's going to be famous. It's like, no, mm -hmm. you don't know how big the world is. And um, mm -hmm. so I saw that, that the advice on the Design in Darbo website was to pursue comicsology. That's mm -hmm. the best thing to do. So then I started researching comicsology and then sure. I knew what I had to put together for comicsology and then mm -hmm. I spent the next two years doing that, working jobs, just existing and um, mm -hmm. and then like I started to get through the chapters but it wasn't, it wasn't my top priority but at the same time it always was or mm -hmm. I never committed to it entirely sure. even though it was something that was ruling my mind, ruling mm -hmm. my life. Something I needed to do but other things came first and it, it's only last year I submitted to Comixology I had to force myself to do it because I was constantly restarting and changing and going back and it's very self-conscious about everything and I just like could not stand the idea of starting out at a certain level when the level I wanted to be at was seven years away, you know? And then right. there's that evidence, especially on the internet, of, of my beginning stages. But I've, I've really grown into the idea, and I think it's a good thing to, to show your growth to people, you know? Mm -hmm. If you start out the spectacular being with so many skills and just puts everybody in this state of awe, then that's, that's where it's going to end, you know? And it, it starts, it ends in one place, and that's, that's it. There's no growth. And I didn't like the idea of mm -hmm. growth. I think it's because I was a bit arrogant. Mm -hmm. But now I do. I, I appreciate growth. And I, I, I'm, the first chapter is cringy for me already. I've, I've submitted chapter seven to Comixology. Mm -hmm. um, chapter six just came out. And... I, I, can, I cannot stand chapter one, okay? I don't, it's embarrassing, mm -hmm. but I love it at the same time. Sure. So I submitted to Comixology last year. A uh, lot of learning when it came to the, 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 the PDF and the mm -hmm. this and the that and the requirements and the sizes and the this and that and no pixelation, no this. And, mm -hmm. But I cracked the code, um, got in there. Now it's, it's easy for me. Mm -hmm. But it was just, when, you know, then I got my friend to edit for me. Um, he's a grammar nutty, so he's it's mm. hilarious actually. And I'm I'm so glad I never ever sent my comic to a lot of publishers because 
I would have been mortified. Mm. You cannot imagine the kinds of mistakes I make and the words mm. I make up and the phrases I make up. Sure. And I said, no, people say this and they really don't. I just make <laughs> things up. And then on top of that, um, language these days is atrocious. And so it's just, mm. it was bad. And he saved me. And so far, nothing of mine has been rejected by Comixology. Excellent. And... Um, so that that was like the first milestone for me, comicsology. It was a huge deal. It still is, but I realised that that just means it's up there. That's it. It doesn't mean anything else. And like <laughs> this is funny to say, especially if if um, people I know listen to it. But I could tell by the sales report that not even half of the people who've asked me about my comic and supported me bought it. I actually see which um, country people come from when they buy mm -hmm. it and when yes. they buy it. So it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. It was hilarious when I got that first sales report. Mm -hmm. um, it was a lot to take in because this is a goal that I've been going for for years, mm -hmm. getting my comic out there. And now it's out there and then it's I'm not an international success like on the spot. Mm -hmm. And then I had to remind myself. You knew this would happen. You knew that your first chapter, your second chapter, your third chapter wasn't anything. You knew that you couldn't capture the world with a synopsis and a picture. I knew from the start that 40 chapters into the story, 40 covers, 40 synopsis later, there, there, is, there is the essence of something mm -hmm. that people would see and know just by looking at it, that that's their genre. You know, like me, I, I don't ever, I'm never reading something before um, other people are. I'm never, I'm not a first edition kind of girl. I don't stand in queues. I, I read a story five years after everybody else does, right? So, and Magician usually what happens... Magician was 1981, so don't worry about it. <laughs> so, so, um, I, I, I will see something in a story and I will, I will go towards it because I'll, I'll know there's something in it for me. And a lot of the times it's very far into the story. Mm -hmm. I catch a glimpse of something that I like. And I never would have watched the first episode had it not been for that moment. And that's what I'm counting on, right? It's very clear that my story is about vampires and dolls and magic and that. And a lot of mm -hmm. people are happy with just knowing those tags. But I know that a lot of my audience will come from random places three years down the line that catch a glimpse of something that I can't reveal now mm -hmm. because it's part of the story and it's only going to come out in chapter 40 something so sure. I have to wait mm -hmm. and that's what I'm doing so right now I'm doing everything I can to um, complete a chapter a month and I'm very excited because I've now discovered Amazon Create Space, so I'm in the process of getting my ISBN codes. And Excellent. what I've always wanted to do, like, was be like a manga artist and um, publish a novel. And when mm -hmm. I went into digital um, publishing, I was web comics. I was a little bit bleak because the paperback, you know, yes. you want that. But I'm also not willing to go through publishers' nonsense mm -hmm. and the rules. And I hate all that stuff. And I can't. It's just too much. And mm -hmm. and, and uh, I already went there. So. And I found out about Amazon and I've done all my research and it's just awesome. And so now I'm in the process of getting my ISBN codes and I'm putting the first uh, six chapters together to go in this first volume. Sure. So now I'm, I've got my own manga series technically. Excellent. So it's awesome. Um, Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Um, 
I'll only have the paper book in my hands in about two months, mm -hmm. but um, I'm really excited. Um, like everything's wait, waiting and ready, and I cannot wait. That's going to be a huge, a huge mm -hmm. thing for me, mm -hmm. and you know, something to stress to other artists well, out there. Actually, we've just hit an hour. <gasps> Ooh. We have. Wow. So I'm thinking. Just as I was about, about to give to say, advice. Yeah, because you know how we finish this <laughs> off. Right? Um, what would be the pearl of wisdom, the piece of advice the that pearl you would of wisdom uh, pass out? Is know why you're doing it, and whatever reason you're doing it, you need to accept and embrace. And for me, the goal is to have that paperback. That's not a huge goal, that's not an international success, that's just Amazon printing a book because I paid for it, but it's a, I mean, it's a world of possibility, so just know what you want and accept what you want and embrace what you want. Lovely. Erin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening cool. to me talk for an hour. <laughs> it's totally fine. That was Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rotten command here. To contact the show, you can email us at releasethegeek, one word, at geekxp.co.za. Thanks for listening. I'll be back. Yeah.